Good morning. It's good to be here with you this, this morning. Um, I'm grateful for this opportunity to come and stand here in, in this place and to be able to open up the Word of God and to share that with you. I, I hope that you had a great week this week, uh, um, celebrating and, and, and just sharing with family and friends that, that time of Thanksgiving. And I don't know about you, but it, you know I am thankful. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my friends, those blessings that the Lord has given me. And, you know, I know that sometimes it's a hard time and sometimes it's a time that uh, it's, it's just a struggle to get through, especially in these holiday seasons, because maybe that's not the case. Maybe there's not a ton of family and friends. And that can be a sorrowful moment. But I want you to know something this morning, church. We have the greatest thing in the world to be thankful for. And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that this week you gave him thanks for him, for what he's done for you. If you're here this morning and you are called his, and you have something great to be thankful for. You have something great to be thankful for. Uh, Just think about it. There are millions upon millions of people across this land, across this world, who who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And apart from him, they're doomed. Most of them will go and spend eternity separated from the Father. That's something to be sad about. But today, you are part of something that is great because you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. So be thankful. But this morning, I, I, I want us to kind of... Uh, turn and 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 take a look at something Uh, this is not necessarily a um, Christmas message so to say Um, but we are going to be talking about gifts spiritual gifts so maybe if you want to claim it as one you you can but I want to start this morning off by painting a picture for you now, I need you to understand something, okay, because I think I'm talking about something that's personal to, to many people. Uh, we experienced something great last night, and, uh, you know, and so we're just not going to go any further than that. But I-, I want you to understand something. What I'm about to say is totally fictitious. It's for illustration purposes only. This is not happening. Just understand, I've not gotten some special revelation. I am not that important, okay? So know that this is not taking place, but I want you to use your imagination with me so that we can come to this conclusion. So I have gotten word that the state of Oklahoma can no longer support the university at Oklahoma State and Oklahoma University. And so what we are going to do as a state is merge those two schools, and they are now going to be one school that's called Oklahoma University in the state of Oklahoma. We are no longer going to be the Cowboys, and we're no longer going to be the Sooners. We are now going to be the Broncos. Okay? It's just the word I got. So here's the thing. We have over here, we have, we have the Sooners, right? I mean, these, if you're, you're Sooner born, you're Sooner bred, and when you die, right, you'll be Sooner dead. That, that, you know, okay? And listen, Sooner, they have their tradition They have that which they hold dear to their hearts. And the state of Oklahoma is telling them, you need to forsake all of that, and you need to come to this new place. And then you have Oklahoma State over here. I'm sorry, I don't know their saying that makes them good. But anyways, um, you have them over here, and 
The state of Oklahoma is saying, I need you to forsake. You need to turn aside all those traditions, those things you hold dear. You need to leave that aside, and you need to now then come to this new place in this new way, and you need to focus here, forsaking all that that's you've held dear for so, so long. Now, I know I'm speaking to some people here. You're going, that is crazy, and that could never happen. I mean, the state of Oklahoma is wanting to do this so that they could unify the state so we wouldn't have this great divide anymore, right? I know many of you, you probably lived in houses that are divided because of this issue. And so they're just wanting to do away with this. And so they're wanting to combine these two schools so that we can do away with this so we can have a state that is unified. And in your mind, you're going, that is ludicrous. That cannot work. It's not going to happen. Oh, my goodness. Please let him be speaking something that is not true, and I am speaking something that is not true. It's not happening, okay? But in your mind, I have no doubt for those who hold dear to those traditions for Oklahoma State and those for Oklahoma, you're going, I just can't happen. And I want you to understand something, that whenever you collide two things like that, yes, there's going to be some dysfunction. There's going to be some things that, that, that hinder um, the unity when they come together. But its purpose is to bring something that was once separated together. And the church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and if you want to, you can go ahead and open up your word, the Bible, to the book of Ephesus or Ephesians. You, you just go back and forth. It's crazy. But anyways, you can open up the Bible to Ephesians. This is where we're going to be at this morning. The church in Ephesus was going through a similar circumstance. And I, I need you to see this. And I think hopefully by painting that picture, you can really grasp the turmoil that was going on. Because over here on this one side, you had those believers who come from a Jewish background. These are the, these are the, the people that had worshipped God all their life. They, they, their faith was in him. Their traditions were in him. They worshipped the God of Abraham, the God of, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. They, they worshipped the same God that Moses worshipped on the mountain. This is the God we still worship today. That's who they worshiped. They loved him, and they had their tradition, and it's what they did. And then on the other hand, over here, you had these local boys that grew up in Ephesus, and here they, they worshiped their pagan God, specifically the god Artemis or the goddess Artemis. And man, they, they had passion for, for her and zeal for her, and they did all they could because they thought that she would protect them and bring them things that she would help them to multiply. And so here you had uh, these people in, in, in Ephesus who worshiped this God, and, and, and yet they come to know Jesus Christ. These over here had come to know Jesus Christ and, and Paul. Why? Because he had come to this town and preached the gospel. And now then they have faith in the true, that that leads us into salvation in Jesus Christ. And they are told to forsake that that they've known all their life and come into this new faith and live together, being totally different people, but yet now the same. It's one of those weird, hard circumstances. And so Paul, as he come through and he shared the gospel and that this took place, and, and as they tried living together, there's just this turmoil that's happening. Just as if those two schools come together, listen, they're not going to get rid of everything that, they got, that, that Oklahoma State held dear. They're not going to get rid of everything that OU held dear. It's just going to be difficult. And so when you come together, there's going to be this collision. 
And that's exactly what was taking place in the moment that, that these two faiths decided that it's not right. We need Jesus, yes, and he did make them new. But let me tell you what, creatures of habit, and we're hard to break those things that we hold dear. And so here you have this problem that's arose in Ephesus of disunity. And so if you read the entire book of Ephesians, you will see that Paul is trying to bring this church together. Now, I believe this, a lot of Southern Baptists will try to steer clear of the book of Ephesians. And I don't know if you've read it, but if you do, I'm sure a lot of people just get this kind of uneasiness. Why? Because it deals with um, things like predestination and foreknowledge and, and, and that that you are, were once appointed before the foundations of the earth. And we just, man, that just gets in our head and we're like, oh my goodness, how, how is that right? I, you know, and, and we can go into this debate and that's not what this is all about. And whether you believe that you're Arminianist or that you believe that you have uh, control over your life or that you are on this camp that you believe that God is completely sovereign and that, and that he causes all this to take place, no matter where you are, I need you to know something this morning before we get to our text. That if you read chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, you will understand really quickly that it is important that we understand that we need to be in him, in Christ. Nine times, nine times in chapter one alone, Paul tells us that we need to be in Christ. And for those who are in Christ, you get the blessings. You get several things that that God has ordained for you. You get to come to this understanding of this great mystery that is set out there. Nine times, be in Christ. Those who are in Christ, it's it's not an idea of, of how you're saved. It's the fact that God loves you so much, he sent his son. And for those who belong in him, man, you have something amazing. Something that can help you in your life. Something that can lead you in your life. Something that is greater than anything you've ever had. And Paul wants this church to understand something. Quit worrying about where you come from. Quit worrying about your preferences. Quit worrying about that that you held dear once before but come together and grow in unity. And to do that, I believe he gives us five gifts. Five gifts. We're going to take a look at those this morning as we open up God's word to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. If I can get there. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11. And if you can, if you would, if you're able... Would you stand with me as we honor God by reading his word? And we'll take a look at these scriptures. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all obtain to to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in all aspects into into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fit 
fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And Father God, we come to you this morning asking that you would bless this to the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to us that which we need to know that we can do your will, Father, in our lives. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for these things. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Paul is desperately wanting the church in Ephesus to come together, to grow in unity. And I believe he kind of, in verse, in chapter four, he, he begins to set things in motion to help this to take place. He wants them to understand that you need some stuff, some structure for this to happen, for this to go forward, so that you can forsake these things, so you can get past these things which are holding you back. I mean, these people at one point, they just did not like each other. And now then, the scripture is telling them to love them, love, love themselves, love those who they've come together with, love everybody. That's not always an easy thing, but let me tell you what, what Paul wants us to understand is that with Christ, we can do anything. And he comes and he sets forth this plan for this church so that the church growth can happen. And the only way that I believe that it can happen is under gifted leadership. He starts off and he tells us in verse 11, he says, and he gave some as apostles. Now, as we go along, I, I hope you understand something. I, I believe that, that these, these five gifts are important, but I, I believe with my heart that this one, this, this the apostles, it's, it it's kind of separated. It's kind of tucked out of, of, um, of what, is, what we are supposed to include, I believe, in our church. Uh, why? Because we don't have apostles living among us anymore. So I want to kind of just describe to you and express to you what, it, what is Paul talking about here. And so the, the apostles, those, those 12 disciples that Jesus came to personally, and he called them personally to follow. Remember uh, back in the beginning of the Gospels when, when he went to them and they're fishing and he tells them, I want you to follow after me, leave your nets behind and, and come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's the 12 people that he called in that moment to, to forsake what they had been doing, to, to leave that and to follow after him. These are those men that walked and talked and, and watched Jesus do ministry. How amazing would that have been, right? Listen, I remember the day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I hope and pray you do too. I remember very well. I remember it was, it was listen, I, number one, I, I'd been living a lie for a long time. But I remember that day of freedom, that day that, 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 that the, the chains were, were broken upon my life and, the, and, and that Jesus came in and, and healed me and cleansed me and made me a new person. I remember that. I remember that I had that feeling that I could attack hell with a water pistol, okay? I'm talking about just this little bitty thing, not a big, I, I just, I felt like I could just conquer all. I hope and pray you had the same experience because there's nothing like it. But man, I just imagine, I just think about these 12 disciples, these people who walked with Jesus. How, how amazing that would have been. I mean, let me, let me tell you what, you would have some serious power, I think, if you walked with Jesus and you saw him go up to somebody who was blind, who had, had not seen it their entire life, and he just goes up and touches them. And now they see. Or if you saw him go up to somebody who's never heard heard a, a sound their entire life he just goes up and he just 
speaks and, and now they hear. Or to somebody who's never spoken a word in their entire life and he goes up to them and he touches them and now then they're able to speak clearly. And that, that, that would be amazing. That kind of healing brings something. I could get behind that. I could, I could, I could feel that presence, that power there. That would be something that I could, could do. I could, I could just, again, I would have that feeling all the time. Let me tell you what, attacking hell with a water pistol now, huh? it kind of winged back a little bit. You know what I mean? Uh, we, we need a little bit more than a water pistol, okay? But I, if I was those men, oh, man. Wait, what, what if you walked with Jesus and he went to his friend's graveside that had been dead for four days and, and he hollered out, hey, Lazarus, come out of that grave. And the man gets up from death and walks forth. Oh, man, <laughs> let me tell you what, I would be ready to go to any battle, which let me tell you what these men were. And these apostles were. Now, they, they had their faults. Nobody's perfect. But, but I believe this. When, when Paul, he says, listen, there are some that were given apostles. It's important that we had the apostles. It's very important that we had the apostles. I, listen, I preached a sermon here uh, not that long ago on a Sunday evening. It was Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus tells Peter, he says, listen, Peter, upon this rock. And Peter had given this confession that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And when Peter, when Jesus says upon this rock, he's referring to that, the, the Christ, the living God. That, that's who the church is to be built upon, right? And that's important that our church is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ because it will fall if it's not. But he goes on to tell Peter, hey, Peter, even though the church will be built on my foundation, upon me, you're still going to be important and vital in this construction process. And if we didn't have the apostles, the church would have never began. If we didn't have the apostles, the church would have never began. It's because of them and their faithfulness and their dedication under their Lord that we now have this place that we can come to and serve and worship. It's that, that because of this, because of, of that great apostle Paul, that, that guy who, who, when the heavens opened up on his way to go and snatch believers and take them to jail or even murder them, and the heavens opened up and Jesus hollered out at him, hey Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul gives his life to Jesus and he become that great apostle, uh, that, that calling directly from Jesus. And he becomes that apostle that goes out into the Gentile nation sharing the gospel. I'm grateful for Paul. If it wasn't for Paul, we may not be at church today. The apostles are important. Because of them, we have a church. He also goes on to say that that uh, he gave some as apostles and he gave some as prophets or preachers. Preachers. I mean, we, we like those guys, right? They're the guys who get up and stand in the pulpit every week and, they, and, and they, they open up the Bible and they share with us. Let me tell you what, church. I believe here that the gifts become more personal, that the big gifts become more personal to the church. Why? Because now these men become to function within the church. And so as I go through these, I want you to understand something. We need to be vigilant and we need to be observant of who is in these leadership positions. 
And Paul tells us that he gave some as prophets or preachers. And let me tell you what I believe. I believe the preacher is that person who, who comes and stands in this place and he opens up the word of God. And he's able to dissect God's word. He's able to exegete that word. That, that's a big fancy word. Exegete means he's able to interpret it and then put it in a, in a way and, and, and speak out to you. See, the prophet in the old was that that carried the word of God to the people. As the preacher should be the same. He should be able to, to come to, to God's word, to, which we have here in, in, the, in the Bible, his written word. And, we're, and the preacher should be able to come and he should be able to open it up and he should be able to look at it and he should be able to study it. And God should be able to reveal to them, this is exactly what I'm trying to tell my people. Let me tell you what, it doesn't get very different from... So you, you have to stay close to the scripture. I love this. Well, it, you know, it means something to me here. And it may mean different to somebody over there. That's a scary place to be. Because God's word is God's word. And yes, I think it can help us in different circumstances of life. That a way that it might not help somebody else. And that's fine. But as a man gets up in the pulpit, he, be, he should be able to open up this word and be able to understand it, and be able to, to, to study it, and put it in a way that he's able to come to this place, and stand in this pulpit, this sacred place, and be able to declare to you what God's word says, with clarity, with precision. That's important. Now then, why is that important for you guys? Because this is your search. This is what you're looking for. And so you need to be looking for those people that are, that are gifted in this area. That they have this gift of, of preaching. That's what you're looking for is a preacher. So find somebody that has that gifting. Let me tell you what, I've been in plenty of sermons in places and I've heard a preacher speak and I'm going, what in the world is that joker doing up there? Maybe you've been there too. It's noticeable. And it's scary because it happens all the time. People standing in this place without the giftedness that makes a church grow. Some he's given, some he's given as apostles, and some he's given as prophets or preachers, but some he's also given as evangelists. Now, some people get excited when they see this because they like get this sigh of relief. Okay, thank goodness God's called somebody else to go and tell people about Jesus, and I don't have to go do that. Because that's not my giftedness. I need you to understand something this morning, church. This is not talking about a gift of evangelism. There is no such thing as a gift of evangelism. He says he's given some as a gift of evangelists. And I do believe there are people out there in this world today who have just an innate ability to be able to go to people and tell them about Jesus Christ. And we need those people. Listen, it's going to become more clear here in just a minute when we get to the end of this, but I, I want to kind of break this one down for you personally right here. It's important that you find those people within your church who carry this gift of being an evangelist, someone who has, and it's just easy for them to go and share the gospel Tell others about Jesus. And here's the thing. I know I'm probably talking to people here this morning, and, and I, this is a sad statement for me. I know I'm probably talking to some people here this morning who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who have never shared the gospel with anybody else. That is not biblical. Not biblical at all. 
Bible says in Matthew 28 that we are to make disciples of every nation. And the only way that you can make a disciple is that if you are a disciple yourself, and that the fact that you were made a disciple means that now then you make a disciple. See, disciples make disciples. And the only way to make a disciple is if you tell somebody about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Let me tell you what, it makes it easier when you have somebody amongst you that has this giftedness of an evangelist. Listen, I'm, I, I, I love telling people about Jesus. That's not always been the case. I remember there was a time I'd just be shaking in my boots if I thought, okay, the Lord's wanting me to tell this person about Jesus. Maybe, maybe someone like you. But let me tell you what, it was something else. Whenever I come around those people who were gifted evangelists, then something began to happen. Uh, listen, I, I, I'll go ahead and, and caveat this and let you know. So my degree in seminary is in evangelism. That's my degree. That's what I got it in. But it, 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 it was a hard road to get there. You can ask my wife. I struggled with this. I got to seminary, and I, I just left youth ministry and thought, okay, is this what I'm continuing to do? And I'm, just, I'm just unsure. And so we get there, and I begin to pray, and I begin to ask God, okay, what is it you want from me? And, and, and I just struggled. Am I to go to be a pastor? Am I still to be a, a, a youth minister? Never in my mind, never did I think I was going to be an evangelist, other than maybe try to be the next Billy Graham. But who doesn't want to be that, okay? And that's a special type of evangelist, but we won't go there this morning. But evangelism was not it and I I just remember struggling with this and then I remember I had to take an evangelism class and my my professor he said all right we're going to go out and I was scared to death and we go out into the neighborhood and we go and we begin to knock on doors which maybe is not my cup of tea it's maybe not my way of doing it but it's a way, right? And doing a way of sharing the gospel is important. And, and listen, we went to that first door and he knocked on it and he shared his faith. I mean, like, just, it was so crystal. It was so clear. It was like he had been doing it forever, which I believe he had. I think he'd come out of the womb sharing the gospel. Anyways, he, man, he just, with ease, and he shared the gospel. And I remember, I'm like thinking, okay, I got this. And so we get to the next house. He said, you're up. And I go, okay. <laughs> I get, I mean, I butchered the mess. I'm like, how do you mess up telling somebody about Jesus? Something he's done for you. But here's the, here's the problem. As I was trying to make it something it wasn't. And my professor, he looks over at me and he goes, he goes, Sean, you just need to tell them what Jesus has done for you. You just need to share the gospel. That that you know, you know it inside and out. Just share that with them. And then let's see where it goes. And if the Lord is there blessing that moment and he's speaking to that person, salvation can happen and if he's speaking to them and they listen to him and they want it then salvation will happen and i remember the next door we went to i was it, it become a little easier it became a little easier we went on a trip to to st louis missouri and and we went to share the god man i didn't have i was i was taking that group i had with me let's go come on man i was ready to go i was ready to knock on every door i was able to knock on and i prayed every time please let somebody why because I had an evangelist who encouraged me, who helped me, who showed me what it meant to share my faith. This is why it's important to have an evangelist in your church, someone who is passionate about sharing the gospel, someone who does it with ease, who can encourage you and lift you up and build you up in this moment to share the gospel. If you have that here, somebody leading you in that area, I promise you, it gets easier and it gets easier and it gets easier. You want to have a healthy church, one that grows spiritually one that that's unified you need to live under the authority of the apostles you need to have a preacher who's able to, to open up god's word and speak it truthfully 
And then you need to have an evangelist that encourages your people to share the gospel. Next, he gives us another gifting. And he says, I've given some as gifts of the pastor. And you may be going, wait. Isn't that the same thing as the preacher? Well, according to Paul, it's not. Now then, I will say this. You may get a preacher who is also a gifted evangelist, who is also a gifted pastor, who is also, as we get to in a minute, a gifted teacher. And that is great. You have gotten a real gem if you find somebody like that. That's not what Paul is trying to say. He's trying to let us know that, listen, all four of these giftings need to exist within the church in one form or fashion. And he comes and he says, there's some he's been gifted as a pastor. Now, what's a pastor? Pastor, in your version, may in your Bible, may say shepherd. They're interchangeable. Shepherd is that, that, that idea of leading the flock, of comforting the flock, of being there to protect the flock, to, to gather them and, and help them. And so I believe this. I believe a pastor is somebody who is going to be there in people's needs. In their hardest hour, a pastor is going to be there. If you have someone that you know is sick and ill, or maybe that is you, a pastor is somebody who's going to be there by your side, comforting you, encouraging you, praying for you. A pastor is going to be somebody, if you have somebody in the hospital, they're going to first be there for that person in the hospital, but they're going to then go to the waiting room and be with the loved ones who are there and encourage them and and share with them their their care and their love for the person that's ill and sick. That's, That's one aspect. But then the pastor also there in the times of celebration, right? A pastor is someone who, who goes and he's there and he helps in those moments where maybe, maybe it's a graduation and your child's graduating. The pastor's there. He's there encouraging and, and excited for what's going on. Or, or maybe he's at the ball game. He should be. A pastor should be at the ball game showing the, the people around that he loves you, right? Because when you love somebody, you encourage them in what they do and you lift them up in what they do. See, a pastor is somebody who does good things and, and, and loves on people, right? That's something weird. We, we, we don't say a whole lot, but he's someone who loves on people. Just loves on them. You need a good pastor. Now listen, like I said, I think this, I think that in, you probably have a pastor search committee, and that's what you're looking for, and that's your idea. You're thinking, man, I'm, I'm ready to get this guy who's a pastor who's going to do those things I just said, and let me tell you what, you may get that guy. Who is that? But he may not be that giftedness or that person that's gifted in preaching the way that you expect him to be. He may not carry that gift. He may think he can, and let me tell you what, I've seen some people, I've been around people who, man, they were great pastors, but they couldn't carry a sermon to, to, to save their life. And it's been vice versa. I've been around pastor, or preachers who could preach like none other, man. They will feed you, feed you, feed you, and you'll sit and listen and listen and listen. But, man, they, they just were horrible at pastoring of shepherding and at leading. You need to understand, those, those are two different giftings, and you don't always get them together. So if that's what you want, you need to be searching for that, making sure that's what you're getting. But a pastor is someone who loves on people. He finally then goes, and in his last gift, he says that he's given some his gift of teachers. And I think these are important. And I think we, we can kind of understand. I, I think if you have a pastor who teaches well, see, a teacher is, 
a, a teacher is those who, who are faithful week in and week out to come. And what do they do? And they're able to take you and help you go through Scripture. They're able to take you through the historical context of that Scripture. They're able to take you through uh, the theological context of that Scripture. They're able to break it down and, 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 and move throughout these things. And, and they're helping you personally to understand it's, it's a more personal moment. It's a more personal, intimate time where you're able to then to ask questions and interact and dialogue. It's not just a man getting up in front of you and just speaking, hoping you take everything in. This is more interaction. And let me tell you what, I believe this. I believe that in Southern Baptist churches, we've done well with finding teachers and placing them and letting them do what God's called them to. But here's, I think we've done something that's horrible is that Everybody needs to be taught. And we have teachers who teach day in or week in and week out. Teachers who teach and continue to teach and continue to teach, but they are never taught. And they get burned out because the giftedness is for the entirety of the church so the church can be unified. So what does that mean? That means you put things into place where you have teachers being taught by other teachers who they may have actually taught the Sunday before. I know that's crazy and weird and you've got to wrap your head around it, but teachers need to be taught as well. And so maybe you need to have something in place throughout the week that you have given an opportunity where that teacher who teaches Sunday school, every Sunday they're faithful, they're there, where they can go and sit under the tutelage of somebody else in another class that helps them in their walk. It's important. It's important. And these gifts, Paul gives these gifts. And let me tell you what, I believe this. I believe that every one of these gifts is a gift of calling. Listen, there's a more extensive list of gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I believe those gifts are for the church in its entirety and that you should have a gifting from the Spirit if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You should have that. But these gifts are not for everybody. These gifts are gifts of calling. These are for leaders within your church, people who have been called out by the Father to lead the church into a place of unity and growth. And how does that happen? Because they equip the saints. These, these men are not called just to come in and do the work. These men are not called to come in and to do everything. Paul wants us to understand that. You need to have these men in place so that they come in and that they lead and they lead well, that they help people to understand the word, that they help people to share their faith, that they help people in their time of need, that they help people to understand the scripture in a more intimate way. You need those people. Why? So that you can be equipped to continue to do the work that God has called you to do. He says that. That all this has taken place, that these have been given, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. You need to understand what God's word is. You need to pay attention to the preacher as he preaches it and then take that and hide that in your heart so that you can then share that with other people as you go out because you are also to evangelize people. You're all also to tell people about Jesus. Even if you have a great evangelist here, it's still your responsibility to tell people about Jesus. Why? Because you're still to love on people. Even though you have a great pastor who does that, you're to love on people and to share them at your care. And you're to continue to teach. You have people all around you that you influence on a daily basis. You have children. You have grandchildren. You have friends, you have family. You are to be teaching them what God has done for you. And how do you do that? You submit yourself under this leadership. 
You submit yourself to this type of situation so that you can be equipped to do those things. Why? Because without them, the church will struggle. I'm going to finish with this. Paul says that that we should do these things to be equipped until we all obtain the unity of the faith. He's wanting us to have this so that we can be unified. You do this and you do this and you do this until you have unity. I want you to understand something. I believe we can grow closer and we can grow closer and we can grow closer, but we will never completely be unified until we become that of the mature man. And I believe that is that day of glorification when Jesus comes and claims his church and brings them back with him to live eternally forever but we should keep striving for that act of of unity that act of growth why because we are in christ if we don't do this the church will struggle church will struggle he says in verse 15 as a result we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man and by the craftiness and deceitful scheming Church, I need you to understand something this morning. If you don't have these things in place in your church, submitting yourself under that kind of leadership, that you are being encouraged in that way, this becomes easier. Maybe not because of your weakness, but because of those who maybe be in that position, that that they are weak. You need to have people who are gifted in that area, and you need to make known that that is what's going on in their life. Listen, I need you to understand something this morning. There are basically two worldviews. We have a secular worldview over here, and then over here we have a biblical worldview. Secular worldview means says that we can do whatever we want. Anything is okay. Everything is fine. Nothing is wrong. Nothing is false. You do whatever you want to, and it's okay. You do that, and you'll be just fine. You can worship that way, and you can serve that God, and then you'll still get to heaven. You can live that way. It doesn't matter. In the end, it doesn't matter. You're going to be just fine. Do whatever you want to. Believe that, live that, you'll be just fine. Over here we have a biblical worldview that has structure, that has boundaries, that has law, that has that that is true, which in sense means that there's things that are false. And it's setting over here. And let me tell you what, it's not as easy as that over there. That over there says, I can be free to do whatever I want. This over here says, listen, there's a way of life, and you have to live it that way. For those who are in Christ, they should live out a biblical worldview, one that's serving, one that, that submits themselves not only un, un, under that that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but also under that authority that's in the church. We submit ourselves there. Let me tell you what, there are churches all across this land, throughout this world, they're trying to do something where they're trying to mingle a little secular worldview with a little biblical worldview. And that does not mix. There is no unity there at all. It would be like trying to mix OU and OSU football. That would not work at all. When we do that, when we have people like that, the Bible says that, that we are no longer to be children. If, if we do that, then, then we'll be tossed here 
and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You understand that doctrines are the things that we believe, things that we hold true, the things that we say are right, the things that we say are wrong. He's saying, listen, if, if, if you don't hold to these things, if you don't submit yourself under these giftings and let them help you, these things can carry you away. You'll, you'll have people begin to tell you that, listen, it's not culturally right for you to say that homosexuality is wrong. It's not culturally right for you to say that abortion is wrong. It's not culturally right for you to, to say that anything is wrong. Let people be and let them do what they want to because that's where we are now in the 21st century. And we have churches all across this land who are beginning to do this, and that's a sad thing. Why? Because we are to stand firm under that which we know is true and which you know is right. And you need to have leaders who are going to be here, and that, especially that preacher, that, that person who is speaking the truth, that that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to speak the truth week in and week out. They're going to tell you what is right. They're going to tell you what is wrong, no matter the cost. And we are entering into a day and time where the cost is be- becoming to be a little bit more expensive. And let me tell you, church, it's important that we understand what is right and what is wrong. And we submit ourselves under that which is right, that which is true. That we need to take a stand upon what is right and what is true. But he goes on to say, listen, just because there's things that are wrong, right? Because we believe that homosexuality is wrong. We believe that, uh, that abortion is wrong. I hope and pray that this morning you understand and believe that, that, that adultery is wrong, right? The Bible says that if, you, that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So don't be thinking about just that act, physical act or over here if you think that uh, that murder is wrong and not just the fact that you've actually committed the physical act of murder but that you've hated somebody in your heart see jesus says that that is murder we need to understand that what is right and what is wrong these things we we believe are are wrong and we should cast them out and that we should stand up on what is true how I, i believe we have to do it by speaking the truth in love. Let me tell you what. It's not that we stand upon our soapbox and that we holler out that that is sin and that that is wrong and that you are going to hell. Listen, I, 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 went, to, I went on a mission trip to Mardi Gras, New Orleans, several years ago. Don't go to Mardi Gras in New Orleans. It's, it's not a good place to be. But we went there to tell people about Jesus. And let me tell you what, you want to know where there's a place where people don't want to know about Jesus? It's Mardi Gras in New Orleans. They do not want to know about Jesus. That is not their purpose for being there. And I remember as we got there, our, pa- our, our, our professor, he's like, listen, let's just try to make conversation with people. Let's just try to see where they're at. And let's see if we can tell them about Jesus. Because listen, whether they're there for that or not, God's word is powerful. The spirit is powerful and moving. And he can do some amazing things. And listen, we went, we got there and we were partnered with another group. And before we kind of got with them, we did our own thing. We went off into the French Quarter and we began to share the gospel with people. And people would stop and they would listen to us and they'd hear us. But I'm telling you, that's not what they were there for. They were quickly to deny that and to move on and to get out of our presence. Because that was hindering that was hindering their, that, what they were there to do. And we just continued to try and strive. We saw some people come to know Jesus. It was good. But that night, we, we got with that group that we had come with. That night, we, they, they said, hey, we're all going to go out. We're going to go to Bourbon Street. 
and we're gonna we're gonna tell people about Jesus and we're like okay well we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into and man, we, we gathered with these people. They had these huge crosses. And let me tell you what, I don't necessarily suggest this, but if you ever see a picture of Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras in the evening time, I guarantee you, you will see a cross in every intersection of that road. Because there are people there that are thinking they're doing something right. And I remember we got with these people and they drugged these crosses and they stood them out, huge crosses. They stood them out and they said, all right, you stand around that cross and you protect it because people are going to come in. They're going to try to knock it over. And I'm going, I just want to tell people about Jesus. And, and they're like, oh, just do that. And so here they are. They're, they're around there and they're handing out their tracks. And I'll get back to this in just a second. Handing tracks out. And they've got big, huge signs that are just condemning these people to hell. You, your sin is sending you to hell. You're going to hell. Your judgment is upon you. And, and yes, the debauchery that they were in is wrong and sinful, but it's not our place to place judgment on anybody. It is our place to share with them what Jesus has done. I just felt awful. I felt wrong. I was like, this is not our purpose. We are to be loving and kind in how we deal with people and speaking the truth. And I remember I'm sitting there and I'm standing in the middle of the street. I could not hear. It was so loud. It was just, it was just awful. And these two boys come up to me and they said, all right, tell me how am I awful and how am I bad? And I go, well, that's not my purpose. And out of everybody that evening that I spoke with, which was not very many, those two boys stopped and they said, okay, well, what, is, what are you here for? And I said, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you, that he sent his son to die for you. And they kind of looked at me in awe because here I am preaching a totally different message. Because I said, listen, I may be here with those guys, but I am not preaching their same message. And they stopped and they listened. I, we, we could not carry on a conversation. It was so loud. And I pulled out two tracks and I said, listen, guys, I wish I could talk with you, but it's just it's nearly impossible. I said, but will you take these tracks home and read them? Those boys took those tracks, looked at them, put them in their pocket, and left. I think that was a success. You want to know why? Because if you go to Mardi Gras on Bourbon Street at the end of the night, it is littered to no end. And you know what litters a street more than anything else, more than liquor bottles, more than, more than, more than anything? Tracks that profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They are everywhere. Because as people pass, they're just placing them in their hands. And people are going... And just throwing them to the ground. Why? Because the message of condemnation is upon them. Because the message of judgment is upon them. That's not why they're there. They're there to have a good time. They and their right mind, they, they don't have any, they won't have anything to do with that. It only encourages them. But that moment I said, listen, Jesus loves you. Those boys took that and put it in their pocket. Whether they came to know Jesus or not, I don't know. I hope and pray that those boys went home, opened that up, and read that and were convicted of what they had been doing. God's word says, listen, we are to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together, fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Church, do you want to grow? Do you want to grow? Do you want to be unified? Let me tell you what, love one another and submit yourself under good, solid teaching of people that are gifted, called by God to serve 
in this way. And let me tell you what, I believe this could be a thriving church in this community that's set out to be a beacon of light, of hope to people who are hurting and struggling. My prayer is that you as a church would find a man who can open up God's word and speak it truthfully. I hope and pray that you can find a man that is a pastor who loves. My prayer is also that you find a man who loves to share the gospel and teaches people its truth. And that you find somebody who's teaching or at least lead your teachers to teach well. Be in prayer for that as you search this man out. Be in prayer for that as you seek. Do you want to grow? If you want to go grow, be ready to submit yourself under the leadership that God calls to this place and look for those attributes, those giftings as you seek this man out. We're going to go into a time of invitation. And as we enter this time, I ask that you would just be in prayer. That you'd be in prayer for what God wants for you. I ask that you would just seek God out if this morning, maybe none of this made sense, the only thing I can say is that maybe you need Jesus Christ yourself. Maybe you're not a part of the group. Maybe you haven't made, maybe you still live in a place that is that where you're unforgiven because you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never come into the fold, never come into the church. I pray that this morning, maybe you, you, you find Jesus this morning or that more importantly, he finds you. Maybe this morning there's some things that you're just struggling with that are hindering you from being unified. Maybe somebody within this church, maybe I pray this morning you'd pray. But I do ask this, more importantly, most of all, I pray we're going to open up this altar. We're going to open up this place that you would come and pray for the future of First Baptist Church here in Davis, Oklahoma. And that God would bring somebody that would lead the church with these giftings, that this church could be unified, growing faithfully, serving Jesus Christ in love the way he's called us to. Let us bow our heads and pray. And at the time of invitation, you come as the Lord calls you. Father God, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, I pray that this church would be diligent in their search. Lord, I pray that this church would come together and that this church, Father, would would seek out those people lord and maybe maybe that is maybe maybe there's a man here that doesn't have every one of those giftings but lord you want them here so lord i pray that they begin to seek people out who are gifted in this way who may be called in this way to help the church to grow and to and to be unified lord i pray lord they love you most of all so that they can love others this church will not grow and neither will any other church that, that, that sets itself before you. They will not grow if they do not love. They do not love well. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask that you be with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need somebody to talk to, I'm here. Johnny will be here as well. Um,